and hello and welcome to It's a Scary Life. I'm your host, Melody. This is my lovely co-host, Ellen. Hey. <laughs> and we come to you again from a blanket fort. It's it's nice this time. We have like Melody, well, Melody thought up to put this some strings across, so we've got a little tension there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> I'm going to try and actually speak into the microphone this time. Um, we'll see how that goes. Also, Melody told me that this one is going to involve some kids, so I'm stressed. Yeah. So, major warning. Today's case involves some children. If, you, uh, if you're someone who cannot handle the deaths of children, this may be one for you to skip. Hey, Melody. Yeah? Um, I work with kids. Should I go? <laughs> I promise you can handle this. Okay. She's buying me pizza afterwards, so, yeah. yeah. I'm going to buy her some Domino's. Hell yeah. The best one that delivers to my apartment. Pizza. So, so, to start off this episode, I would like to give a massive thank you for our first patron, uh, the lovely, beautiful, and phenomenal Lily Costa. <gasps> oh my gosh! Hi, Lily. <laughs> Thanks. Love you. Lily is a dear friend of the podcast and has been a close friend of mine since 2016 when we met. I'm a better person for knowing you, and you light up my life. So just thank you so much for supporting us monetarily. You're sincerely a really generous friend, and I love you. And I can't wait to wine night again. Wine. Wine nights are so great. <laughs> uh, before jumping into our case, there's um, I'd like to bring attention to a news story uh, from the past couple weeks that has made it to my social media feed, but has been just kind of overshadowed by a lot of other media. Um, on April 25th, 2021, 55-year-old Shane Van Nien was found mutilated and dismembered in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, he had been reported missing by his family the day before. Police arrested three white men who had asked Nien for a ride, which he was kind enough to give them. And um, Nien is survived by his wife and two sons, for whom he was the primary provider. Uh, this is just another instance of a targeted attack on the AAPI community, Asian American Pacific Islander, which has been increasing in our country since 45, started demonizing China solely for being where we first saw large outbreaks of COVID-19. So there is a GoFundMe titled In Loving Memory of Shane Nian for the family to cover funeral costs and to give them some money to rely on while uh, Shane's for a surviving wife can support their kids, finds a way to support their kids, and just grieves. Um, and can so, we include that link? Yeah, I'll be including the okay. link in the description. Um, but if you can spare it and send a few dollars their way, I know the GoFundMe has already gone far beyond what they were asking, but every cent gives the family time to grieve, could send those kids to college without student loans, and wouldn't that just be a wonderful gift after all this? Um, you know. Yeah. Let's, let's support our communities. Mm-hmm. All right. So what are we covering today? Um, Ellen, are you ready to have teenagers scare the living shit out of you? I mean, they already do, kind of. I mean, goodness knows. Anytime my sister makes an impulsive decision, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, here we go. Uh, Last more my chemical romance. <laughs> Listen, I like the My Chemical Romance that I've listened to. I like a lot of that type of music. I just wasn't exposed to it really intensely until college. And, yeah. you know, yeah. 
you can jam out to it. It's nice. You'll get the reference. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> oh, no. So today I'm going to tell you the story of two brothers who were age 18 and 16 at the time of the attacks in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, who killed their family with the intention of traveling the country and doing mass shootings along the way. Oh, what the fuck? Were these, were these some white boys? Yeah. 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 Where are they from? Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Gross. Yeah. We, um, Not Broken Arrow. I'm sure it's a lovely town, city, place. I'm sure it's very lovely. It's just, um, I think there's a lot of elements that went into this with the boys and being from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma didn't help. Ah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Wait. Does their family include smaller children? Yes. No. Let's talk about the Bevers. There isn't a whole lot publicly known about the lives of the Bever family outside of reporting surrounding the murders and court documents. The Bever family consisted of David and April Bever and their seven children. Seven? Seven children. Oh, that's why earlier you laughed when I mentioned that seven was a lot of children. A lot of children. Oh, no. (laughs) So there was Robert, 18, Michael, 16, Daniel, 12. Christopher, Victoria, uh, Christopher, 7. Victoria, 5. No. And two surviving children who at the time were ages 13 and 2. Oh my god. If it makes you feel any better, I'm saying this for you, Ellen, and for our listeners, whenever they do listen to this, the two-year-old walks away unscathed. Okay, but there was a seven-year-old. I... I know. Some of the kids that I do child care for are seven yeah oh um i'm going to be refute uh i'm going to be refraining from using the names of the surviving children in this coverage as they're still young and they just deserve to move forward with their lives how recent was this uh, 2015 oh my god yeah oh poor kiddos uh, i'll name like young kids and things that happened in like the 40s not yeah i mean if they're adults now then it's they're adults but these they're still so young i hope they're doing okay yeah so david worked in the tech industry to support the family while april had spent all her days homeschooling the children okay so april was known to stay up late talking to her friends bragging about her children's accomplishments and listening to them talk about their lives Mm-hmm. Um, so this meant that David would take care of the children in the morning to let April sleep in. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Um, I mean, that's basic parenting, but yes, yeah. it's good. <laughs> but, like, honestly, we live in a country where men don't do that much. I know, but my dad was a stay-at-home parent, so okay. <laughs> I'm definitely like, oh, a dad looking after his kids. That's just the norm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, next you're going to tell me that, like, they went to, you know, the library sometimes, and then they went and, like, got an apple juice at a nearby cafe. Like, okay. That's just the normal. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is very cool to interact with your kids and to, you know, act like an actual parent. Yeah. If you are a parent, you, you should be a parent. Yes. And be involved in your kids' lives. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what you signed up for. Yep. And kids are fun. Kids are great. Melody, what happened? So, uh. And uh, the youngest Bever child had been born premature, which prompted April Bever to create an organization to raise awareness about premature birth and help people cope with it. Oh. Isn't that so, so sweet? Yeah. She's such a, what a big heart. 
So on their block, the Bever family were generally known as recluses. One neighbor in interviews stated that when her children would run up to the family's fence to say hello to the Bever kids, they would run away and go back into their home. Another neighbor was quoted when she saw 16-year-old Michael Bever walking through the neighborhood just days before the murders. She had no idea who he was. So I'm going to ask a question. Yeah. And no offense to Christians in general. What religion were they? Were they quiverful? Um, But they don't, I don't, I didn't seem to find any record of them going to church. Okay. I'm just wondering what kind of homeschooling they were receiving. Because I know that can be popular in certain evangelical communities. Yeah, I actually grew, I actually knew someone who had ended up going through like the quiverful schooling. Um, Yeah, it's, it's fucked. Uh, yeah. They learn nothing. It's not accredited. They can't take that degree anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the kids that do then want to end up going to college and, you know, furthering their education find out that they actually are far behind their peers and have to spend years catching up. And that's if they actually are able to get in. Right. Because a lot of the time the school is not it's not an accredited school and so yeah. they don't have an actual high school diploma. Yeah. Oh, I was just talking about like getting GEDs to even get into the college. Oh yeah. yeah. To get a GED, they're going to go to the GED class and realize they know nothing. Mhm. It's it's so upsetting. Mhm. Um, but we have no proof that that's what's happening here. It's just the large amount of children, the homeschooling and the kind of reclusive behavior kind of Yeah. Yeah. Drip some alarm bells for me. I definitely know they were Christian. I'm not sure if they were may have been like the Easter Christmas people. I mean, listen, that's a place to be. <laughs> I actually have no idea. <laughs> I was not raised Christian. I'm just no, assuming. It's not the place to be. I mean, the egg hunts on Easter were fun. Yes. Yeah, and they did like some fun, like the Christmas program sounded like, you know, a decent time. As long as they stuck to like the older carols and not like new nonsense. <laughs> listen, anything written after like the 1890s is suspicious to me as far as Christmas music goes. Like, it is on thin ice. Love it. So, you, so you'll go a Oh, hell yeah. Among the leaves so green. Here we go a Yeah. Here we go a wassling so fair to be seen. Yeah, no. Peace and joy. Oh, no. Love and joy come to you. And a happy wassail, too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a happy new year. So what happened with these kids? So uh, Michael Jacobson seemed to be the only neighbor who spoke of the family with a fondness. He stated he and his wife remembered being given a really warm welcome when they moved onto the block. And his wife noted that David Bever had placed a stork sign in their yard to mark the birth of one of their children. Oh, That's so cute. That's real cute. That's real sweet. Like, how neighborly. Mm-hmm. Um, but friends describe Abel Bever as a kind and generous woman. One friend recounted a time when her son's TV for his bedroom had broken, something she noted was not necessary. And David and April just drove to their home and gave them a TV. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Like, just have a TV. Yeah. For this unnecessary extra TV you actually have. 
Right. And I mean, you know, I think it's easier for some people to kind of be generous and friendly with people who they actually know well, Mm -hmm. rather than like doing that Midwestern neighbor thing, which is, I mean, it can be charming if your neighbors are chill, but if not, like. I mean, I'm a Slytherin. I totally get that energy. I only really befriend people very selectively. Oh, I thought you were going to say who's useful to me, but. I mean, yes, they are useful to me in some way. <laughs> Melody, <laughs> you want you want to talk about it? Oh, we've already talked about this. I, I really can see your high empathy. Yeah. That's, that's your biggest use. Not my cooking? <laughs> I mean, the cooking's great. Thank you. Work, okay, cool. But the empathy is what I find most useful. Aw. Love you, too. <laughs> also my cooking. So, unfortunately for David and April, the perpetrators in this case were their two eldest sons. Nothing is really known about Michael, age 16, at the time of the murders outside of this case. He never had a job or much outside contact. Robert, once he was old enough, had gotten a job at a call center. A former co-worker of Robert's recalled him talking about how he hated being homeschooled and talked about being lonely. Robert stated he was only close with Michael and that... The co-worker was his only friend, which, mm. yeah, it's sad. If you're homeschooling your kids, you need to socialize them. And the thing is, a lot of homeschool parents do really try to have, like, a lot of activities and yeah. stuff so they so that kids can get that. Like, I know homeschool families who, like, would take their kids to every single activity under the sun. Oh, yeah. Like, sometimes specifically in groups that are for homeschool kids to socialize with each other. Yeah, I actually do personally know a family with seven children who did at least homeschooling till high school. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. With each kid, they have multiple activities. Mm -hmm. They were put in theater, which is how I met them. I taught them theater. Mm -hmm. Um, They were put in gymnastics. They were put in soccer and, like, just whatever piqued their interest. And it's like you just have to put them at activities where they socialize with other kids their age. Mm -hmm. That's the trick to homeschooling, really. Yeah. There's also, like, a community of, like, kind of homeschooling kids uh, in, and, like, yeah, no, but, like, in this one place kind of in, like, I think Kansas, and, like, a bunch of them join in in, like, English country dancing, which is, you know, how I've interacted with them. That is so It's so cute, and you have, like, these little three- and four-year-olds who aren't, like, even really being, like, homeschool-homeschooled yet, who are, like, trying out the dances, and sometimes you have to, like, bend down so low to, like, grab somebody's hand to turn them. It's real cute. I'm so sorry. I keep dropping my mic. Also, we did a Lord of... There was a Lord of the Rings uh, style dance. And so, like, half of them had, like, little elf ears on. It was the cutest thing. (laughs) If only for that group specifically, I am pro-homeschooling in certain situations if it works out for you and your family. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm pro-homeschooling so long as you otherwise socialize the children. Mm -hmm. Like, they need to be socialized and they need to be socialized with people who aren't just exactly like them. Yeah. Like, just bringing them to church isn't quite enough, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. You're bringing them somewhere where people are meant to be thinking a lot like them. And are going to be mirroring similar values. And part of yeah. the part of the fun of, like, going to a school is meeting all these people who didn't grow up like you and who go to different religious functions and stuff. Yeah. I had a blast making friends with Muslim kids and Hindu kids growing up. I learned so much. I had, I think there was so much value in being surrounded by 
Christians and Catholics and Protestants and Mormons and Hindus and Jains and Muslims and just so many different religions and so many different races and so many different types of people. I just, I benefited a lot from that. We just had a lot of flavors of Christianity and like a couple kids from any other religion, which is fine. Anyway. We've been putting this off. Yeah. Mm, what they do. So we're jumping into the meat of it. Mm. Trigger warning for everyone. On July 22nd, 2015, the Bevers, 13-year-old, went to Robert and Michael's room a bit before 11.30 p.m. to tell her brothers to do the dishes. When she walked in, she saw the two teens putting on body armor and standing over a bed that had several knives laid out. Michael asked Robert, should we start now? And Robert responded, yes. Mm. Michael then told his sister to check something on the computer screen. While Michael was distracting her, Robert slit her throat from behind. She had fought back and started to run toward the front door of the house. Robert managed to stab her several more times in the struggle. She ran out of the house and could hear April's screams as she made it to the front porch. From here, she was dragged back inside by one of her brothers. Police believe Michael was the one who had dragged her back inside as Robert stabbed April. As Michael left a bloody handprint on the front door, April Bever was stabbed 48 times in the face, neck, chest, abdomen, and arm. Oh my god. Christopher and Victoria Bever had hidden a bathroom once they had heard screaming. Michael tricked them into opening the door for them by telling them Robert would kill him if they didn't open the door. We can only assume they thought they were opening the door to save their brother. The two brothers seized the children once they opened the door and stabbed them both to death. Christopher had been stabbed 21 times in the head, neck, chest, and back. Victoria was stabbed 23 times with wounds spanning from her face to abdomen. Oh, God. Both boys in separate interviews took credit for both deaths. To this day, we don't really know what happened in that bathroom. The next victim was 12-year-old Daniel Bever. Mm. Daniel had managed to get a phone, call 911, and hide in his father's office while the other families were, were being brutalized. On the 911 call, Daniel can be heard attempting to tell the operator that his brother is attacking the family. A little out of breath, he gives the address and attempts to clarify that it is his brother attacking them. Good kid. That's... He is then heard talking to someone else in the background. Then another voice says hello on the line before hanging up on the 911 operator. Oh, God, Michael managed to trick Daniel the same way he tricked the other siblings and got Daniel to unlock the door while he was on the line with 911. Daniel was stabbed 21 times in the chest, neck, stomach, and back, which with all these back injuries just shows how much they fought. Yeah. They fought hard. Yeah. These kids really, it's, yeah, it's hard. So it is not known at what point during the attacks David Bever emerged from his room to see what was going on. But we do know that Robert stabbed him 28 times in the back chest. Oh my god. The two-year-old had luckily slept through the attack and the brothers had forgotten about her in all the excitement, so she was left unharmed. The Bever family home had been left covered in blood and viscera to the point that much of the interior of the home had to be gutted because the surfaces were deemed biohazards. Oh my god. So after the murders, Robert and Michael ran into the woods behind their home to hide out from the police, as was their plan. When police arrived on the scene just after 11.30 and saw that the perpetrators were no longer in the house, they immediately sent search parties 
out to the woods behind the home for search for them. Good. Because these cops know what they're doing. Good. The brothers were quickly located and arrested. They had the 13-year-old rushed off to the hospital where she recovered from her injuries and ID'd her brothers as her family's attackers. Robert and Michael were charged with five counts of first-degree murder or premeditated murder Mm -hmm. and one count of assault and battery with a deadly weapon because in some states attempted murder is not technically a charge. Um, What? Yeah, that's a thing. What? Assault and battery with a deadly weapon is what would be deemed as attempted murder in some states. I mean... It's just, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, the brothers were not granted bail at their arraignments. Good! Yeah. And despite the, the judge bastards. ruling Michael would be tried as an adult, the brothers mm-hmm. were tried separately because Michael was still a minor at the time of the crimes. Okay. But he's still, like, in, in prison, right? Yeah. Good. And he was tried as an adult. Good. So the Bever brothers didn't just plan to kill their family and then walk away to a life free of crime. They planned together to stealthily kill each of their family members, clean up the house, and dispose of the bodies before anyone knew to catch them. They wanted to cut up the bodies, put them in bins, and leave them in the attic. What the fuck? They planned to film a video of the aftermath and upload it to YouTube. What the fuck? Yep. No. What the fuck? I mean, here's the thing. It sounds like a workable plan right up until you're filming that shit, you little twerps. Almost. What the fuck? I mean, it would still very obviously be them who killed their family. Yeah. They didn't account for the fact that people would, you know, scream. I mean, yeah. Um, and fight back. Yeah. Like, they thought they could just stealthily kill everyone and it'd be whatever. Yeah. So after this, they planned to wait for a package of several guns and 2,000 rounds of ammunition. What the fuck? At a local gun store that was scheduled to arrive the next day after the murders and then go on a mass shooting spree. What the actual fuck? What? What? So. Oh, God. That is that is fucked up. That is deeply fucked up. The brothers had a goal of killing 50 to 100 people between Oklahoma and Washington. What the fuck? What? High numbers. That's horrifying. Even some of the worst serial killers I can think of didn't touch 50. Like, I mean, big plans, I guess. Yeah, Why? Something in them that went a little depraved. A little? Melody. I mean, at first it's only a little, and then you keep following it. Okay. I mean, that is so fucked up. So the surviving Beverage girls were put into the same home in foster care and were eventually adopted out of foster care by the same family. Oh, that's nice. So they're, they've got to be safe and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, same with the family dog. Uh, neighbor oh. on the block took the dog in. That's nice. Mm-hmm. But Robert Bever smartly pled guilty to all charges without any needling from police or his lawyers. Good. He was given life in prison without a chance of parole. Good. And this is actually a sentence he wears proudly. No. In prison, he got two hand tattoos. One that says LWOP times five, or life or up parole, five counts. And one that says five in all caps. 
Yeah. I've changed my mind. He's um, proud of himself. I don't like this. <laughs> I understand that cruel and unusual punishment is bad, morally, ethically, um, legally. Have have we considered drawing and quartering? I actually personally think that making him cut his hair would be torture. What? Something he has done since being in prison is grow his hair out. And I honestly believe it may be that his family didn't allow him to have long hair. Um, oh. Kids look very traditionally gendered by binary. Oh. And he may not have been allowed to do that. So it's like any post-prison photos you see of him, he has long hair. So I think mm. forcing him to have a crew cut is cruel and unusual punishment enough. Yeah. I mean, we can do that first. <laughs> we should not. We should not. It is bad. It is wrong. Yeah. Don't cut people's hair off. It violates their autonomy. Yeah, it's fucked up. It is deeply fucked up. And there's a long history of people doing that to um, various indigenous uh, people. Oh, God. Which is deeply fucked. Yeah. Um, obviously, we at the podcast do not condone any sort of torture. Yeah. I'm not going to finish where I was going with that statement. We just don't condone it. Curses and hexes, yes. Torture, no. But you got to be careful with those because they you can slap you in your own ass. You always stipulate the curse or hex based on the person's own behavior. Yes. Because then they are digging their own grave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but just remember, if you're not, if you're putting a curse on someone just to fuck around, that will come back and bite you in your own ass. Oh, yeah. It'll come back hard. So the, the youngest, who was two at the time. Yes. They're still in grade school. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The only good thing is she has no memory of them. Well, that's good. So she's gotten to have a pretty normal childhood. Mm-hmm. The other one I'm concerned about. Uh, yeah. It's not an, this, this can't be easy to heal from, and she's just barely an adult now. No, yeah. But getting back to it, mm-hmm. uh, Michael entered a plea of not guilty. Oh. Filed an appeal for him not to be tried as an adult. Hmm. That appeal probably would have gone through if he had not put in that plea of not guilty, by the way. Just, you know. Really? Yeah, it's, it's a really great negotiating piece to be like, I will plead guilty, but you have to try me as a minor. Ah. It's really good negotiating. Mm-hmm. So Michael's defense relied almost solely on placing the blame on Robert for the, and making it seem like Robert was, you know, heading it and the main influence. He tried to make Robert look like Eric in the Columbine shootings, like the worst one who was... Um, I also don't know a lot about... At all. We'll talk about Columbine at some point. We um, we don't have to. <laughs> it is a very important case. It is a really important case, and I understand. And, and a lot of our culture's assumptions about school shooting, rightly or wrongly, come from... Come from Columbine, and very wrongly come from Columbine. Because um, mm-hmm. a lot of the students only saw the outfit and assumed the shooters to be different kids. So when mm-hmm. they came out of the school and the news people threw microphones in their face, and they were like, yeah, they're super bullied. Not true. No, weren't they, like, wearing, like, Nazi stuff? Yeah, they were wearing Nazi stuff. They were wearing trench coats. Uh, The long trench coats is what made them think that they were the bullied kids because it made them look like the goth kids. Ah. But really, Dylan and Eric were the people bullying the fucking goth kids and everybody else. Did goth kids get bullied at your school? Because, like... No. Okay, yeah. They didn't... I mean, they might... I didn't really pay attention. I mean, I did a little bit. I've told you that story. Yeah. I've mentioned the person before. We're not mentioning him on the podcast. Of course not. <laughs> but, like, yeah, 
Thing wasn't really a thing in my high school much. People tended to be problem after I left. Mm -hmm. Like after I graduated, but like Melody was keeping the peace. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I think people were just generally pretty chill. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we had some issues, especially when uh, one kid a grade below me uh, came out as gay. It was he was not treated well. Yeah, I had a sci-fi teacher who talked about. Um, my senior year, she was like, 10 years ago, I had a football player come up to me and ask not to be sat next to the gay guy. And then in one of her classes earlier that day, she found out that not only the most flamboyant gay guy in there had been on the football team, he was super close friends with most of them who were still on it. Yeah. And like, <laughs> they were just best buds. And she was like, this was a great transition to watch in culture. Yeah. Yeah. I th- yeah, I think it's more like that now uh, in my high school, but uh, yeah, California, we're progressive. Always ahead of the curve. And Missouri's not. Yeah, it's getting there. Well, look at our Congress people. Yeah, though Missourians as a whole do want more progressive and liberal policies. It's just that then they vote for Republicans. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm glad you think so. But getting back to the case. Okay, so. Essentially, Michael's lawyers tried to argue there was abuse in the home and that Robert used this as a means to control Michael. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately for Michael, though, his surviving sister was able to testify to his deep level of involvement in the murder, even stating the brothers had been planning the attack for a while without realizing they were planning something real. She did testify to there being abuse in the home, but of course Mm -hmm. this doesn't mean the boys had free reign to kill their parents. Or their sibling. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. If there's abuse in the home, I understand. I get why you see that's the only way out. Yes. However, your siblings, that is not okay. That's never, I mean, mm mm-mm. No. It's unacceptable. Nope, 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 nope. But the most damning piece of evidence actually ended up being a journal Michael kept while in prison. Oh, my his trial. God. In the journal, there are morbid drawings of dying people, many of which have the word death written on them. But the most incriminating part was a little illustrated story that reads, Once upon a time, there were brothers named Michael and Robert. They hated their family, so they killed them. The end. Well, it's to the point. So Michael was found guilty on all charges. Good. And he was given five consecutive life sentence and an additional 28 years for the assault with a deadly weapon charge. Good. So Michael is serving time in Lexington Correctional Center. Mm -hmm. Robert is serving time in Joseph Harp Correctional Center. Good. And if the state can help it, they plan to keep the brothers in separate facilities for the rest of their lives. Excellent. This one doesn't leave without a cherry on top. The Bever family home remained on the market after the murders. The tragedy had stigmatized the home and people stayed away. Mm-hmm. In a fundraising effort, a city council member collected money from neighbors and community members to purchase the home from the lenders to whom the home defaulted and turn it into a memorial park. Aww. During this process, however, the house was burned down. It was not publicly reported whether or not it was arson, but the fire was ported, reported at about 3.30 a.m. So personally, I assume someone set fire to the place. Yeah. 
Um, since the fire, the donations that were collected for the Memorial Park were allocated to building Reflection Park. Mm. Broken Arrow City officials dedicated Reflection Park to the Bever family on March 28, 2019. More than 25 local businesses donated money or supplies to build the park and give the park features grass, trees, a walking path, and a gazebo in the center. Oh, that's nice. So, and that is the unfortunate story of the Bever family and the Broken Arrow Massacre. Oof. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, hard one. yeah, that's, that is really rough. And the thing is, is like, we still don't know a lot about what was going on through their heads. We still don't know a whole lot of reasonings and things behind it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I deviated from my schedule and was like getting really into this one because I was just like, but why? Mm-hmm. And I still can't find it. <laughs> I mean, I'd say probably, well, I don't know. I mean, I think that, I don't, I don't think that the abuse is like the reason, the reason, but I yeah. mean, definitely being in an environment where that kind of thing is normalized can yeah. be damaging in different ways to different individuals. I mean, I have, I have PTSD. I grew up in a home where violence was a bit more normalized than I would say, well, anyone who wasn't going through trauma. Uh, and I can say like, there is definitely a part of me that has gone that dark, but you always have a choice whether or not to follow it. Mm-hmm. And you've chosen to be an ethical and moral individual. Exactly. And I'm just wondering, like, is it that they were so isolated they saw no way out, sort of like Gypsy Rose Blanchard with her mm-hmm. mother? Or is it that they already had something in them? Like, did they, were they born psychopaths or did they become sociopaths in the process of being isolated and having what seemed to be occasional physical abuse, which doesn't make it any better? You know, the kids who get hit every day tend to feel better than the ones who didn't know when it was coming but yeah I mean it kind of makes sense it's kind of like that that experiment that you do where but with like positive stuff where if you tap the the bar the rat gets food and then for one of them it's the food comes every time they tap the bar for some it comes every other time and then for some it's completely random Mm -hmm. and it's always the ones where it's completely random where once you start you stop giving out that food the behavior the behavior becomes the most erratic yeah if you'll forgive the pun and erratic yeah yeah okay um i'm here for the comedy (laughs) um but it makes sense as someone who has never taken a psych class that that would also apply to situations where there's abuse where it's like the fact that you don't know when it's coming is going to put you more on edge and make you feel more unstable than where if you know okay if this then that exactly when it's like if dad drinks then he hits us there's a guarantee right like you know where it's coming from then you're you can protect it you can protect yourself better but when you don't know where it's coming from it's sort of like yeah i mean psychologists compare it to living in a combat zone i mean yeah that kids with child abuse like this where it is the ticking time bomb parent you don't know where it's coming from and people with ptsd from combat tend to have the exact same symptoms Mm -hmm. and tend to be very similar because it's a similar situation yeah never knew when the threat was going to come and it's yeah it's not easy a life you have to live and i mean i if i had been more isolated i probably would not have gone in a much more positive path than i've gone down yeah, without people teaching me to meditate and yeah 
And just having other adults to go to. Yeah. Um, well, I don't really have other adults. But, like, I did go to school. Mm-hmm. And I got to just socialize with people and hang out with kids on the block and things like that. And so I think that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Humans are social creatures. And the more the more that's an option, the the easier it is to grow up well-adjusted. Yeah. Yeah. This was a very hard case, and I don't blame you if you just want to turn off this podcast and play something happy like CV Universe. So we are going to bid you, our beautiful listeners, adieu. Bye. We Love hope you. That you have a wonderful day. We hope that you make good choices. Go get therapy. Just it's kind of just my blanket advice for everyone. Yeah. Just go get therapy. Therapy's Everybody fun. Everybody needs it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we will hopefully be talking to you soon. Now can we get pizza? Now pizza. Okay. (laughs) Bye.